Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome everyone. I'm delighted to talk today about financing the transition, presenting you with key outcomes and key expectations ahead of COP27 and COP28 coming from the Middle East. So today we're really going to dig into some of the concepts that business is thinking about and talking about in terms of financing the transition. I'm delighted to welcome four fellow panelists distinguished in their corporates and, and in this topic to hear their insights around what they're doing in terms of their corporate strategy, how they're financing it, and really what they're thinking about in terms of regulatory drivers. First, I'd like to welcome May Abdelheim, who is uh, president for GE, based out of Cairo, so for Egypt, welcome. Christian, who is part of the, the uh, team at Aha Horizons, Dieter Volkommer, who we welcome from Siemens Energy, and Greg Fewer, who is the CFO of Alda, the real estate company here in Dubai. So thank you for joining me. And I'm going to kick off the conversation by talking straight with you, May, and, and looking at GE. So we've had the pleasure of working with GE on numerous occasions. And you're a true solutions provider for the energy uh, transition. Can you tell us a little bit more about how your products fit into the, the transition story and, and what you're working on? Sure. Thank you, Zoe. So at, at GE, we believe that climate change is an urgent global priority. And we are taking serious actions to, to address it. We set our emission goals for 2020 and met them ahead of schedule. And now we have also set goals for being carbon uh, neutral in our own operations. Given, given that one third of the world's electricity is uh, generated by uh, GE equipment and almost 90% of the world's transmission utilities are equipped with GE technologies, we are focused on playing an essential role in the global uh, energy transition. So we believe uh, 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 that cleaner energy future will be achieved through a combination of lowering emissions today and innovating in breakthrough technologies for the future. We are working with the, our customers and partners to prioritize uh, a decade of action to uh, lower uh, emissions near term while securing a path to lower carbon future. And we are doing this uh, through growing renewables by accelerating the expanded deployment of renewable energy infrastructure as we are um, a renewable energy company and uh, through leveraging gas power as a force multiplier uh, to help accelerate decarbonization in the near term with more efficient technology for example coal to gas switching is such a, a good one uh, also through modernizing the grid through modernizing both physical assets and digitizing the grid. We can help make it more resilient and capable of transmission from diverse uh, sources of power generation, such as re uh, renewable energy. And, and on the innovation side, we are working on multiple technologies, including hydrogen, carbon capture, utilization, and storage, 
superconducting generator technology, uh, small modular reactors, and sustainable um, aviation fuels, to, to name a few. Uh, we, we have implemented solutions in all of these areas around the world. Uh, look at the SAF uh, blend that had flight from London to Abu Dhabi last year, for example, um, or the small nuclear reactor technology that we will be deploying in uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, these, these are just uh, a few of the examples we have of solutions that are already out there in the world working toward the energy transition. Uh, it, it will not be one solution or one approach. It will take a diverse array of technologies, solutions, and players to move the needle on, on the energy transition. It's a really um, important area. And I'm so interested to hear about the sustainable aviation fuel part. It's something that is really close to my heart being here in Dubai, but traveling everywhere to go and, and visit family back in the UK, etc. We really want to know that we're doing this on a sustainable basis. So, you know, GE central to the to the transformation. And we'll come back to some of those themes. So moving now on to Siemens Energy, Dieter. So you've been working on this for a while. Tell us a little bit more about your approach to ESG and transition and, and how it's been developed into a successful growth strategy, because I think that's what our audience wants to hear about, that it's how to generate a successful roadmap on the sustainability agenda. Yeah, thanks, Zoe. And, and um, before I, I come closer to your question, maybe it's worthwhile to spend a couple of seconds on what is Siemens Energy, actually, because, I mean, Siemens, everybody knows Siemens, but uh, maybe not everybody knows that Siemens Energy is a startup, more or less. I mean, we operate in 90 uh, countries. We have a revenue of roughly closely to 30 billion. So it's a larger startup, but it's um, um, founded via a spin-off in 2020 from the Siemens Energy. And since then, we are an independent company, stock-listed uh, energy pure place. And, and having said this, I mean, we had a very good foundation when we started our sustainability journey. Uh, having the legacy from Siemens and some of the targets uh, we directly copied, to be very honest. I mean, for example, becoming climate neutral in our own operation, that was already invented or started by Siemens in 2015, and we clearly said we will continue this path. On the other hand, it was also clear that we need to understand what is the requirements in terms of sustainability for energy pure play. So we went through a lot of discussions and honestly, it was very fruitful to discuss also with the finance industry. And we had a lot of contacts during the phase of the carve out to really understand what will investors in the future seek for in terms of ESG program, but also in terms of the ESG performance indicators. So that helped us a lot to understand where we need to target at. And in the end, we came out with a very comprehensive sustainability program focusing on responsible operations on the one hand. So how are we doing business with elements of uh, health and safety, of course, diversity is super important. And also given the fact uh, this is only a, a few examples, but also given the fact that we are in in huge infrastructure projects, also the topic of human rights compliance uh, are very important. But given our portfolio and we cover the entire uh, value chain with conventional power, renewable power, transmission, also hydrogen businesses in our portfolio and the decarbonization of industries, um, it was clear we need to focus at the decarbonization piece. And of course, we focus at the decarbonization of the entire value chain. 
And uh, we said we need to come up with ambitious targets and they need to be approved. And we choose SPTI, the Science-Based Target Initiative, who approved our decarbonization targets being in line with Paris. And um, this is, I think, a very important sign. And it helped us also to integrate uh, decarbonization clearly into our company strategy. And uh, this is, I think, CO2 is a kind of a business indicator, like we have revenue, like we have EBIT and profit. Also, we discuss about uh, CO2 in our projects. And this is very helpful. And I can name a couple of projects which, which clearly show uh, that this is super important also for the Middle East region and for Egypt, uh, where we, for example, with our daughter Siemens Gamesa, we are helping Egypt with a large uh, project on their ambition to become a, a renewable energy hub for Africa. Uh, and this is closely connected with a, with, a, uh, with a memorandum of understanding which we signed with the Egyptian electricity holding company who want to be uh, who want to develop a hydrogen-based industry and also in the end export green hydrogen, which I think is also an excellent uh, element because, I mean, hydrogen, everybody sees it as one of the major fuels in the future. And you're, uh, you're mentioning the aviation industry. I think hydrogen will play also a huge role here via e-fuels. And last but not least, we are closely working with the ARENA, with the International Renewable Energy Agency in Abu Dhabi, also here to jointly focus on the energy transition uh, based on renewables and drive the energy transition. So as said, sustainability, decarbonization, clearly part of our company strategy. That's great. Thank you for running us through. But now moving on to Greg. So Greg, you're both the Chief Financial Officer and the Chief Sustainability Officer of ALDA. Um, and you're in a different sector from GE and Siemens. Can you just tell us a little bit about your view on, on transition and how that's being implemented uh, throughout the organization. Thank you, Zoe. Pleasure to, to be here. So for, for Aldar, uh, and maybe just the first bit on, on who Aldar is for the people that, that aren't aware uh, on the call. Uh, Aldar is a large master developer um, based, based in Abu Dhabi. We have about $15 billion of real estate. Um, we have a market cap of about $10 billion. Um, we're a master developer. And in our country, which is only 50 years old, the real estate sector is very young. And companies like us in uh, Aldar and Abu Dhabi, like Imar in Dubai and other places, um, government-linked entities were invented to help the city build itself. So over our 15 years of existence, we've probably had a hand in building about 15 to 20% of our entire city-state. And we have 65 million square meters of land, which means we have another 50 years to go. Um, so people like us sit at the top of the real estate uh, food chain um, and operate from a leadership perspective in our, in our market. So when it comes to sustainability and, and uh, ESG and the energy transition, our strategy at Aldar has been simply to lead. And that perspective really came from this, this market leading incumbency, this market position uh, that we have. We build about 80% of all new off-plant homes uh, in Abu Dhabi. When you're that large um, and this issue matters so much, you really need to take it seriously and you need to take a leadership position. For us, that has meant having advocacy, not just at the board, but at the, the chief executive who owns this topic you know, by, by definition, but also to have chief level uh, advocates for it. So I became, actually for a couple of days, I became the chief sustainability officer of Aldar. And at one point our organizational structure actually had the CFO reporting into the office of sustainability. Um, 
I, we decided not to brand it as such at that time because we thought maybe the market wasn't ready yet to, to have a public listed company without a CFO. But just to give you a perspective of how we, we lead and how we, we manage, we view sustainability to be that thing that, that ensures we are future-proofed and, and, and sort of around forever. But it needed top-level support before it had real uh, grassroots engagement and we were ensuring that the culture of sustainability was built within the organization. We've really taken that leadership uh, position seriously and are keen to move our supply chain forward really with the decisiveness and with the, the leadership that a top of the food chain industry uh, actor like ourselves has to do. And, and progress for us means engaging with the supply chain. As a developer, we own land and have a brand and have capital. And everything else in between, turning sand into land into a home that someone takes over, is the supply chain. And the supply chain needs a lot of conditioning and a lot of work. And without proactive engagement from people like us to trial technologies, to lobby regulators, to ensure that suppliers know that there is offtake and that there is a keen um, you know, top of the food chain developer willing to procure on a green, sustainable basis, um, you won't move your industry forward. And I think that's a similar kind of perspective that should uh, also um, exist with other top of the food chain animals, auto assemblers, you know, airlines, uh, people like that. You're absolutely right. And there are several issues coming out from, from your comments that really kind of resonate with us at HSBC as well. One is, you know, taking the agenda seriously here on transition without taking it seriously and having a very, um, top level governance and perspective on how these things are going to play out you can't adjust your business model in order to embrace them and to embrace the opportunity that they present and similarly this point around the supply chain you know there is so much engagement activity to be done in the supply chain to to help move the agenda forward quite fast and so delighted to hear that you're working on that um, topic in particular so brilliant moving on to christian Christian, you know, you've heard about some of the approaches from fellow panelists. Net zero is clearly important in terms of the, the business opportunity for you, but equally how you partner with your clients and how you partner throughout your value chain. How is your approach differing or similar to Siemens GE and Aldo? Can you just tell us a little bit about what you're up to? Yeah, sure. No, thank you. So, and uh, just a bit of background. Uh, Horizons was set up in, in 2020 as, as the broader Aqua Group's spearhead on, on tackling climate change. Uh, we develop and invest in, in technologies, projects and companies that lead to an accelerated energy transition and decarbonization of, of industries. Uh, today, we have uh, three main pillars of decarbonization, uh, renewable energy, uh, hydrogen and carbon capture. We also have a, have a fairly broad mandate to widen that to new areas. Uh, some said that uh, we, we had an unfair competitive advantage uh, compared to other uh, smaller startups by being a, large, being a part mm -hmm. of the larger industrial group. Uh, and, and being part of, of the Aqua group provides us with technology, uh, competence at most, and not least capital. Uh, the engineering capabilities found within Aqua solutions uh, and the industrial digitalization expertise in the group is key for commercializing uh, technology and, 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 and bringing down cost, which is crucial for, for a successful energy transition. Uh, the Aqua Group also provides us with, with a global network of uh, industrial partners. 
And working in partnerships is one of the key levers for us to, to generate value. Uh, through the, the Opera Group's ecosystem, uh, we have access to leading industrial actors across the segments we operate in, uh, such as our, our partnership with, with Shell and Statcraft uh, on hydrogen, uh, BP and ocean winds on, on offshore wind, and Siemens Energy on carbon capture and storage. Uh, our business model is set up so, so that we look for partners across the value chain from securing renewable energy feedstock for a project to partnering with developers on, on the actual industrial project uh, and partnering with industry majors on, on offtake. This uh, gives us access to attractively priced uh, feedstock, industrial and strategic expertise uh, and, and new markets uh, as, as well as, as long-term capital. Partnering is something that is really coming out quite significantly through the, the rest of this, the conversations that we're having. It seems like well, for those of us that have been working on climate for a while, we know that we, we know that the pure play solution of scaling up renewable capacity to be able to provide that supply side part of the energy system. But the demand side part that needs to move in harmony to be able to get emissions down is has has different solutions in terms of hard to abate sectors what you can actually do i.e you can't just use renewable power some of the time you need to sort of think about how you shift your business model a bit but equally you know, need the incentives to to be able to commercialize the available technology and this partnership idea is really mission critical to be able to get those markets moving fast. So I'm glad that you've brought up the, the concept in our conversation today. You know, we've touched on this a little bit in terms of the, the thematics that are important for transition, carbon capture and storage, hydrogen, and, and, and a little bit about how we make that work. But I'm really keen to dig into a, to, to some tangible ideas now, especially with Egypt hosting COP27 May, I'm guessing that it's getting busy for GE uh, in terms of your conversations with the Egyptian government and others. Um, tell us a little bit more about some projects that are going on. So actually we have been in, in the region since the early 1930s. And since then we have served as, as a strong global partner, providing innovative solutions to our customers um, across the whole Middle East and, and Africa. And with COP27 uh, fast approaching, we recognize the opportunity we have by working toward implementation. And we are already supporting our partners in the region around the world to realize net zero ambitions. For example, in Egypt, um, where all the action is taking place uh, later this year, uh, GE Digital, in partnership with Bactel, Baker Hughes, MB Petrojet, HSBC, and the National Bank of Egypt, signed an MOU to support the decarbonization of uh, uh, downstream facilities in Egypt. So this collaborative initiative seeks to lower emissions across critical industries like the, the oil and gas industry, uh, which will be key to realizing Egypt's vision uh, for decarbonization. So GE is uh, bringing software solutions to this uh, coalition of uh, partners. Uh, GE Gas Power also um, has signed two agreements with the Egyptian uh, electricity holding company uh, to promote efforts for decarbonizing the electricity sector in Egypt. And that's uh, zooming into Egypt, but broadly in, in Abu Dhabi, for example, GE is already 
developing roadmaps for decarbonization with partners like um, Emirates Global Aluminium and Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, ADMA. So we are looking at hydrogen and carbon capture utilization and storage and other solution. Uh, we also support Egypt across the healthcare and aviation sectors, uh, providing solutions for patients and passengers across other critical uh, industries. Of course, um, looking ahead to COP27, there will be a lot uh, that will unfold. And as, as, as a head of GE's global COP27 team, I'm, I'm on the ground in Cairo, and I'm so excited about the progress uh, I see uh, ahead of the November event. It's, it's really interesting to see how governments and companies are collaborating for the greater good. I, I, I also really appreciate the emphasis this COP has on, on implementation, something, of course, GE is passionate uh, about as well. So the whole event will be focused on a just and ambitious uh, plan for the energy transition, one that looks at sustainability, reliability, and um, affor affordability. Uh, we call this the energy trilemma, and, and we believe that all three must be balanced as we work toward solutions as one global community, and particularly for the 750 million uh, people without access uh, to power. And, and we believe that it will take much more than one company, one government or entity to succeed with these goals. Thank you. It's really exciting that COP is almost here. Um, but equally, having been through the COP process sort of several times and, and worked alongside the UN since before Paris uh, back in 2015, there's always an, a, a kind of a year of excitement, but equally a year of roller coaster sentiment as work plans come together and as the collaborative approach takes shape. And it, it, it really does then kind of have a crescendo at the COP event itself. So we're looking forward to, to seeing that. And you're right in the implementation is really the name of the game right now, right? Which is why we wanted to have corporates like yourselves discussing what you're up to, because I think our investor community and, uh, and fellow corporates want to learn because the, the partnership element and the radical collaboration bit is the, is the way to speed up action. And that's what we're looking to do. Christian, just in terms of your projects, you talked a little bit about collaboration already uh, in the Nordic countries. I think there's some specific things that our uh, listeners might find interesting around uh, hydrogen and a flagship project that you've got on in Norway. What would you like to tell the audience in terms of the challenges and, and benefits of, of partnering and how you've worked on that project? I think our, our, our projects in, in general are often quite, uh, quite pioneering. Uh, we're either sort of entering new markets or, or utilizing new technology. Uh, and our, our sort of broader project portfolio is, is global with, with key projects spanning from Latin America to Asia via Africa and Europe. Uh, and, and I think uh, some examples are, uh, including so the big hydrogen projects in Norway, we are currently installing uh, the first full-scale carbon ca capture facility on, on the Heidelberg cement uh, plant in, in Breivik, uh, which has the capacity of reducing uh, the CO2 emissions by 400,000 tons per, per year. Uh, this is a technology that has been, been developed within the Aqua Group for 
more than more than 20 years. And as you mentioned, uh, we have a flagship project in, in, in Norwich, uh, which is, uh, for, for those of you who don't know the, the, the small town of Norwich, it's, it's a place in, in, uh, in, in the northern part of Norway, where we are uh, developing an industrial scale green uh, hydrogen project. Sort of the, the starting point for that project is, is the fact that there are uh, big differences in, in, the, in the power prices of uh, northern and southern uh, Norway, where you typically find European prices in, in the southern part of Norway, whereas you have abundant green energy to primarily hydropower in, in the north. So power is, is quite cheap. Uh, so, so that led us to, to sort of find a way to utilize that power uh, in, in a way to that, that we can export that to markets that has a need to maybe reduce their, their power consumption and decarbonize that at the same time. Uh, so, so we are building large-scale uh, green hydrogen uh, uh, facilities that will feed into ammonia production uh, and also uh, looking at doing direct uh, reduction of iron. Uh, there is a large amount of iron ore flowing through the port of, of Narvik uh, every year. So in this way, we can help decarbonize the, the, the shipping uh, industry by, by selling and exporting the ammonia. And we can also help decarbonizing the steel industry by, by, uh, by reducing the, the iron uh, using green hydrogen rather than, than coal and coke, which is, the, which is the natural way of doing that and, and, and the most emitting part of the coal or, or the steel making uh, industry. I think, again, back to, to the partnerships and the importance of that, when you look at uh, both carbon capture uh, and storage and hydrogen, you can always just focus on the on the project, but there is really a sort of a need to, to actually lift the whole value chain at once. Uh, you can't just focus on, on that one project because you, you need to have power uh, and, and, and grid connectivity coming into the, to the hydrogen production. You need to have uh, some sort of, of way to, to export it. Our approach is to, to turn it into a derivative that is easily uh, exported uh, compared to hydrogen in its, in its uh, pure form. And, and that's, that's sort of when we, when we need partners to work with them. And that is extremely important in, in, uh, in being able to, to lift these infrastructure and, and value chain projects without having uh, various elements slowing that uh, development down. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> without partnerships, we're just going to... Well, we're not going to get anywhere, basically, but we but but it's also difficult to establish them. And then once you have, you can really scale uh, projects in a in a particularly effective way. But right now, I want to come back to you, Greg, and you touched on the supply chain point in, in your previous comments. And there's a really important one here for the real estate sector generally, and that's the potential for green cement. Um, and, you know, it's a really mission critical uh, topic to address in terms of a decarbonisation journey, but obviously it's very difficult. So what's, what's your sense of, of how the supply chain aspect that you're, you're thinking about and green cement in particular is, is unfolding and what would help with moving that topic forward a little bit more? Yeah. Well, so green cement is not a bad story in the UAE in, in, in the sense that you can actually procure it uh, on, at relatively good scales right now. Um, the issue is it only takes about, say, 30% of the embodied carbon that's in traditional uh, cement out. And so that industry uh, needs to uh, improve that to 90% plus, which they can do, but just uh, it, the cost curves aren't quite catching up. 
too much yet. So again, back to that point of leadership from us, it's important that we engage proactively with the supply chain to ensure that they know that we are buyers, that we are, uh, we'll sandbox uh, technologies and innovations with them. We will help enable discussions with our governments around ensuring that innovation in material sciences are buildable and approvable uh, in terms of building permits and things like that. Again, this, this idea of the whole ecosystem needing to work together. And more broadly in real estate, you, you, you look at cement and then you very quickly move uh, on to other critical items that will involve us getting to net zero in all our homes by 2050, which is low carbon steel, low carbon aluminum, glass, all wrapped in passive design. And, and each of those elements in the supply chain, including the services supply chain, our architects and, and engineering, um, need to work as collaboratively collaboratively and as closely as the cement industry locally has uh, has done here to improve uh, reductions in uh, embodied carbon across all those critical uh, supply and material items. Yeah, it's um, that's a really useful uh, explanation of, of what you're doing. Um, one of the things that the financial sector has, has is looking at is what to ask for in terms of disclosure around cement and steel companies to show that they're on a transition journey. And I think one of the coalitions that's being built around um, creating that demand and transparency is the first mover coalition, but also um, HSBC does some work with the Mission Possible Partnership, which provides tangible case studies of, of how to do this, because this takes me on to the next topic, which is financing. And across the financial sector, there are drivers to get more transparency on what a climate plan looks like from the industrial sector. And the rationale for getting that plan is to know how to be able to support it more effectively, right? To be able to provide effective cost of capital, so low cost cost of capital into the projects that are going to drive emissions outcomes and also set individual companies up well for success going forward. Um, Dieter, what's your sense from how financial institutions are addressing ESG in, in, in emissions targeting? And does, does that really affect you or, or am I kind of wrong in thinking that the financial sector is, is really getting hot on ESG issues? No, no, it's, it's really it's, it's um, incredible what happened over the last year. I mean, I'm doing sustainability now for a couple of years and when i started my personal journey it was well it wasn't nice to have today it's a lot of discussions around uh, strategic discussions finance discussions are around the esg and the the let's say the request on esg data and the questions on how you perform with your esg programs are increasing i i couldn't believe like a couple of years ago and and i mean uh, today, I think there's no discussion around the sustainability report anymore. It's a must. And uh, on top of the sustainability report, you have to answer ratings. You have to answer questionnaires from customers, but also finance institutions. So obviously, there's a huge request in showing your ESG performance. And I think this is very logical because ESG performance or the risk of a bad ESG performance is a business risk. So it's natural that the investors are asking for transparency here. And as I said at the beginning, for me, it is very important to have this regular exchange because, I mean, also 
the investors, the financial institutions, I mean, they have also to adhere to the regular um, regulatory requirement. So it trickles down. Uh, your reporting requirements might trickle down to the industry reporting requirements. And uh, for the time being, it is a bit of a challenge to answer all these requests and have the clarity in the data and the way how you report. Uh, on the other hand, we see moving in the right direction. It's, um, we have the CSRD uh, coming in place in the European Union next year. We have the EU taxonomy also coming in place, already in place. Um, and I don't oversee all the challenges in implementing these regulations. On the other hand, I think it is going in the right direction. And here, again, partnering between financial institutions and also the industry. We need to also to under, have a common understanding on how to implement and how to really report on those KPIs, because it can only be in the benefit of, of everybody. And in the end, and this is for me 100% clear that the direction will be at one point in time, um, investors will value financial information and ESG information on the same level. And this is, this is for us clear that we go this direction. So that all sounds like it's very straightforward. In the last few minutes, uh, given the fact that you know part of the rationale for this series is, is to raise awareness and, and raise support for Egypt on the COP27 agenda, I'd just like to hear sort of 40 seconds from each of you on what you would like to see at COP that would help you accelerate your own business strategy uh, or generally that you would like to see from COP from a personal perspective. Um, so I will start with you, Christian. What would you like to see from COP27? I think uh, for us it's important to have uh, have going forward sustainable uh, value chains. So I think sort of an, an increased focus on bringing sustainability throughout the, the whole value chain, going back to the commodities, the mining of those, turning that green, and sort of looking at at then green steel, green green cement, and having sort of more focus on on the value chain is is important for us. Great, Greg. Net zero commitments with substance public-private partnerships to get us there. Uh, collaboration will be key. Governments leaning in are crucial. And with COP28 coming quickly off the, the, the heels of COP27, I think you're going to see this region really stand up and, and take a leadership position on this front. Right. Dieter. Yeah, for me, understanding that the energy sector is maybe crucial for the whole net zero uh, discussion. So accelerate the energy transition in the energy sector by focusing on renewables, uh, infrastructure investment also in transmission and last but not least scale up the hydrogen economy good and may on the ground there in egypt right now yeah so i i believe that cop this year is an important milestone to the international uh, climate agenda and because this year it comes at a very challenging time with, with the pandemic and the geopolitical changes so the focus on implementation uh, the focus on the energy transition and as we do believe that it takes time for this transition and there is a short term that needs to be focused on decarbonization while building innovation and building the future to to reach net zero uh, emissions in the future through hydrogen through renewable energy through more innovation uh, that will come up thank you so just if i can draw out three points to take away today the importance of uh, partnerships was a clear one that came from all of you today in terms of scaling the opportunity in the market 
and the serious of intent and both those things will accelerate our action on climate change thank you for joining us thank you thank you thank you zoe thank you all thank you Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.